Welcome to the Geek Tea Podcast, where you can have dungeons or dragons, but not both. I'm Void, and I'm here with my co-host, Beige. Oh, I want both, Mom! No. Um, today mm-hmm. we're talking about, well, something along those lines. We're talking about, like, tabletop RPGs, really. So Dungeons & Dragons plays a part, but we're going a little bit beyond that, because you've been playing tabletop RPGs. We are going to talk a little bit about Dungeons & Dragons, probably, but you've been playing Star Wars Edge of the Empire, and you talked about this yeah. a couple weeks ago, that you were going to do it, and then... The more that you talked about it, like with me, just through text, as you actually started playing again, the more I was like, we need to make this into an episode because I wanted to hear about it. But I was like, just save it for the show, which sometimes happens to us. We're like, we want to talk about stuff. And we're like, no, let's talk about it a little bit on air. So, yeah, I know in general what you've been doing and that you've been playing and that you've been having fun. But tell me about it. This is the most unique RPG system that I've ever used. And I mean, I'm not hardcore into tabletop RPGs, but I've read I'm the kind of nerd who reads rule books and uh, wants to know what's out there and how they work even though I don't have a set gaming group and this is one of the most unique ones that I found because in general tabletop RPGs are numbers based they are you know you go all the way back to the original Dungeons and Dragons and AD and D, and like Second Edition, which is Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, had Thaco, the to hit armor class zero, where you had to do tons of math. I mean, Third and Fourth Edition, uh, even Fifth. Now you have you're adding modifiers. You're you're making dice rolls against uh, different stats and and different values with penalties and additions. And so there's a lot of math going on, and there's really not any in Star Wars Edge of the Empire. Um, It's a fantasy flight game, and they took the idea of tabletop role-playing and actually wanted to emphasize the role-playing part of it. So the main aspect of this game is the narrative. That storytelling is at the forefront of this, and the the dice and everything else are set. I don't want to say they're separate because they play a major part, but they are not the primary focus of this game. And it it's called I think they're called story dice is actually what they call them because they're they're a special dice uh dice system that they all have different symbols on them. Have you seen them? Have you seen the the fantasy flight yeah, dice it's, that they it's use for this? It's a very fantasy flight thing to do. They tend to do that for a lot of their games where they make custom dice and depending on which game and which system you're playing it and I'm talking about like board gaming and like tabletop gaming, not just tabletop right. RPGs. Fantasy Flight is just known for that like custom dice thing. So I I know the one the system that exists in Edge of the Empire because I've listened to a little bit of like a live play of it. Like I listened right. to part of a season that somebody put out. So it sounded really interesting, but it's mostly just like you roll it and then you get a bunch of basically like story beats of kind of about what happens, right? Yeah, kind of, because you roll them and there are basically three. Like I have a cheat sheet on this on my computer, actually, to tell you what they are, because the dice have to be interpreted because they're all symbols. And it's like you have all of these, uh, you have seven dice and they're all different colors. You have a yellow one, a green one, a blue one, a white one, a black one, a purple one, and a red one. And three of them are good and three of them are bad. Uh, three of them are bases based on your the levels of success that you have, and the other is the levels of failure. And there are three degrees of success and failure. And the seventh is a force die that uh, lets you see how many dark side or light side points you're you're using and getting on on things. And so green dice are the the 
base dice that you roll, the base die that you roll, and it's got the the triumph symbol, which is essentially a critical success, and you have the advantage symbol, which is a which is something good is happening to you, and then there's success. It's like you succeed at what you're doing, and the same things have a negative. Uh, symbol as well you have a despair which is something a critical failure uh you have a threat which means you may have succeeded at what you did but something bad happened to you and then there's just straight up failure it's like so if you were to roll uh to to hack a computer to slice a computer and you rolled a success and a threat um that would be you hacked into the system and got what you wanted, but an alarm got set off, so now the stormtroopers know that you're there. It's all based on, like, if you roll all of these, you have may have three green dice that you roll and one purple die that you have to give it a negative. They'll cancel each other out. So if you have a triumph, it will cancel out a despair, so you neither have a critical success nor a critical failure on it. And it's just a really interesting way to, to do it because it's all based around moving the story forward and things that will happen to your character that either the player or the GM will decide that that's one of the really cool things. Is yeah, I was going to ask, is this one of them that it's more of like a negotiation between the players and GMs about like interpreting the dice? Or is it one where like the players roll and the GM says this is what happens? It depends. It depends on... Uh, it depends on, at least for us and some of the ones that I've seen, um, we basically do it fluidly on uh, based on what it is. Like, generally for us, I GM'd, we've played twice, and I GM'd the second time, and my friend Austin GM'd the first time. There are only three of us, uh, because we're doing this kind of as a, my, all of my friends live away from me, so we're doing this to hang out sometimes, and so we're doing it online. And so... Uh, he when he was doing it, it was every it was our very first time. We hadn't even read the entire rule book yet. Where every time we got like a threat or success, it came from him. He told us what happened. But the way that the the rule book says is that the that you can spend advantages and triumphs to do something and generally that's where you start negotiating with the with the gm it's like if you uh are starting a combat a round of combat and you roll a triumph and or or let's say you roll an advantage that's the the lesser one of them that you something good happens to you it may be that uh, your character thrives with cover and you are in a barren wasteland if you have a if you have a success and an advantage it's like okay my character is going to shoot the uh shoot the stormtrooper and then duck or duck behind the uh this three foot rock that happens to be beside me uh and then shoot the stormtrooper and uh that's the kind of thing that an advantage would get it's that kind of star wars uh, they wanted it to have a feel of things just kind of work out for you in star wars and uh so that's what they they tried to do with the advantage and threat uh to make it be like not punitive and not ridiculous but uh the player has the option depending on who the gm is and how much leeway they're going to give on what level of success 
best they have. I mean, the GM always has final say. You can't say, you know, I roll an advantage and I shoot Darth Vader in half with my bowcaster. It's uh, not something like that, even on a triumph. But it, it's really interesting. And we've been playing it so that generally the negatives come in from the GM so that the so that the players don't, you know, take very minor things to them uh, and, and not move the story along. Right. So how do like the characters tie into the system? I guess that's part that I didn't really understand from like when I had looked into it. Like, do they have powers? Can they influence the dice with those powers? Like how do classes tie in without getting like too far into the weeds of the actual mechanics behind it? Like what gives each character their unique flavor? Well, there are three different versions of this game there's a star wars rpg and then there's edge of the empire which is um kind of outer rim bounty hunters and scoundrels there's age of rebellion which is the military uh rebels alliance kind of stuff and then there's force and destiny which is the jedi centric force centric uh i won't say expansions but branch of the of the game and they all play off of each other like you can intermix them any way that you want and so the characters that come from each of these have i think there are four what are classes but i can't remember what they're actually called now careers there are four careers that you choose from like uh explorer or a hired gun or smuggler or something like that and then within those you pick specializations like my my friend austin is an archaeologist an explorer archaeologist and i am a an explorer big game hunter you my my other friend is a jedi consular or no a jedi mystic seer and so what those do is that every base class has skills like D, where you get an extra dice or two or upgrades the amount of dice that you can have uh based on the number of that you have in any race so if I have a, a higher charm, I get better positive dice or maybe or and then I can take talents, which are uh, like feats in D&D 4. If you uh, if you remember those, it's like taking uh, talents that may remove a a negative dice from something, a negative die from something, and maybe it lets you count a major action as a minor one. Uh something like that okay yeah no that makes sense so like with all of those mechanics in mind like how is it going because like you the things that you were excited about like when you were texting me were like the narrative and like what was going on with it and the fact that yeah. you were really hyped to like get in and gm after the first session because yeah, you said it was. That you weren't sure about it but it sounded like austin kind of wanted to try it and then once you had played once you guys kind of switched roles and you were pretty yeah. hyped about getting into that gm role i like this system I really, really do because it gives a lot of leeway on the GM's part to wing it. And I say that in the best way where my, my, the, like this last time, my players, these, these guys, they barely fought anything this last time because they were, the way that they were playing meant that with the dice rolls and the way it was approaching success and failure and with these varying degrees, they, got out of combat and still won those encounters because experience isn't based on kills or what you do 
uh, there are only uh, there are a few landmarks and milestones like in a pre-made adventure where you might repair a ship and the person who you know decides that they need to repair this part of it instead of just flying away gets five extra experience uh, but every adventure gets a set amount of XP at the end of it so that you can uh, upgrade your character but you don't get it for individual things within it so it makes the story moving around much easier and better and i loved it that they went way i want to say they went off the rails on this last one but it was because things went so unbelievably well for them that i was so excited about this as a system and when i started using it and started looking into it and reading it was harder to GM than I thought it was going to be. But once we started moving along, it became very natural in a way that any D&D game I've had hasn't, where uh, they're doing this and then I'm like, okay, I'll just put an, I'll just roll a threat die on this for my own sake and how I'm going to approach the negatives and the, the storytelling and stuff like that. It's just, it was a lot of fun. Like, in the very end of the the first adventure, they have the they're in this mining town, and they have um, a compound at the end of it, like just on the outskirts. That a this guy's come into the mining town. He's uh, have all this um, how what is it uh, like influence, and he's taken over, and he's got deals made with with some of the nobility on uh, on Ryloth and on Geonosis, and uh, the players don't know that at the time, but he does, and you need to drive him out of town. And so the point that you're trying to make or trying to do is break into the compound. You're going to try to uh, take out his uh, Aqualish guards and then you're going to, uh, you know, eliminate him in some way. Um, And you can do this in the, even in the module, it has non combative ways to do it and suggestions and ways to handle it and you know combative combat stats and my guys did nothing that was in the book so instead of like they got there they were talking to this guy and it was like if they go out that day read this to them and this happens they stayed inside talking and doing stuff and shopping and messing around all day they never went to this area so as GM I just let them I didn't force that part on them and then they went back and they because they were working toward taking him out based on the conversations with these NPCs that was what was written and so my friend who was the archaeologist he uh, he had spent a lot of his skills in uh, long range heavy weapons he was like okay so I'm going to scout this place out I'm going to scout the uh, best area around the compound to be able to get clean shots and uh, we're going to get the, the the Twi'leks here to run a distraction they rolled really well so the, the Twi'leks set up a distraction by setting a land speeder on fire that the that, that we all came in with and uh, running it down the street to explode and Barry my other friend uh, was going around and like meditating and doing his force thing trying to figure out the the best like mechanics and how to approach this and get a lay of the land and and sense what was going on inside this uh, cantina where they were holed up all of their dice were just about perfect like all of these things, like they were getting getting triumphs and advantages and very little threat at all, even negatives, like they were massively succeeding on this stuff. And so what happened instead of being able to go talk to them and negotiate a deal or fighting them, what happened was that the 
the triumph basically uh, they had they had a triumph on the distraction uh, when they 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 set it out and that meant that I interpreted that as being uh, the guards ran looking at you know looking for that and left most of the cantina empty and so then um and so the the boss came out and kind of looked around like the triumph is like something that happens and it's great like truly something great happens and so the main boss uh uh Rom came out and stood looking out the door and so Austin was in on his perch at this point and he rolled two triumphs when he shot at the boss and took his shot two triumphs and he rolled a three successes on that as well just the normal success icon which his weapon said that if you roll three of this particular icon that you get a critical injury against the person so I rolled the dice on a D100 on critical injury, looked it up in the handbook, and they rolled for a cripple or maiming. And he shot the main guy's leg off at the knee, I told him, and knocked him down. He basically had two uh, hit points left, uh, two wound threshold is what they call it. And uh, my my friend Barry came up and uh, finished him off with his... Uh, he didn't even he didn't take out his lightsaber because they knew that I was going to call an inquisitor on them if he kept using his friggin' force powers at this point in the <laughs> in the universe. And uh, they know that I'm enough of a jerk that I'm going to do it, and I'm I'm going to do it anyway. But uh, they they're they're expecting it now, and it's going to be great. But he he killed him, and all of the enemies were gone, so they had enough time to loot the place, get all the credits, uh, find everything, explore complete the mission in with enough time left to blow it up before the and with another massive success roll with like three advantages i think on uh, on one of the rolls to ignite uh because of the uh the skill that he was using and so they made a crater out of the cantina and everything was uh was great and it's like they had to take one shot man and yeah. even then even before that the combat area before that he actually succeeded on his uh mind trick force power that he had and shot off into the into a cave where bounty hunters were uh, made this trandoshan fight like fire into a cave mo- and scare the uh, monster that was in the back of it to kill the other two bounty hunters that were in there because of where they were all positioned and it's just like these guys are being jerks that in a D campaign the G- the DM would have hated. I don't know. And I'd then, see, like, I like that a lot. So I've tried to listen to many, many different, like, live play games. And right. Not so much streams, but I've tried, like, a lot of podcasts that I've subscribed to. And I right. usually don't make it through the first season of whatever. The only one that's stuck with me long term is the Adventure Zone. And I think one of the things I've taken away from it is that, like, the Adventure Zone is all about narrative. Even though it's hung on right. D&D to start and they've moved on to other systems since then. I'm oh, have much- they? I didn't know that. Yeah, I'm much, much more interested in tabletop RPGs that allow for narrative. And I think that D&D 5, like the 5th edition, actually does a really good job because I've heard it run multiple ways now. And there are people that will take it and they'll twist it more towards a 4 direction where it's more about like the combat and the encounters. And yeah. like it's much more of that like ta- like traditional like fighting people yeah. encounter game. And 
I I don't have an interest in that in my tabletop games because right. I shouldn't say in my tabletop games in my tabletop RPGs because like there are other games that do it better. If you want to just yeah. do combat, there are other board games that are out there. There are video games. There are things that are going to give you a better combat experience. Combat should just be like a tiny piece of the puzzle. You know, it should really be more about like the overall narrative. So I've been thinking about that a lot lately, especially because I want to do more tabletop RPG stuff like with my kids. Yeah. And I know I've talked about that before. Um, I basically made them a homebrew system that I yep. didn't have a name for it. So I called it Imagination Adventure because they were younger and that made sense to them. And it that's was not a bad title for a kid's RPG anyway. Put capital letters on that and you can sell it like that kind of thing needs to exist. Let's kickstart that. Uh, that's a lot of work that I don't have time for right now, but it was super simple. It was basically like I gave them each, um, some dice and then I would just set like random roles that I knew were very accomplishable, you know, like yeah. none of it was right. too hard. None of it was about like the character that you had, even though I had them make characters, they had like very minor stats, but it wasn't right. about like, look at your character sheet, do math on it. You know, it was very much like roll a die and like add one number and I would just tell them what it was and it was kind of Calvin yeah. ball with it but it was fun because we could just like tell the story and yeah now they're older to the point where like I want to get them involved with more of a system and I've been looking at fifth edition and I think I could make it work and I think I could make it fun my worry with it is that they're still young to the point where like I don't want them to have too much violence and yeah. as a tangent, I'm probably more strict with violence than most parents because I actually know what is in things. Like, I pay attention to the shows they watch, like, movies they right. watch, video games. Like, in a lot of ways, I am much less strict than other parents because, like, my kids have so much access to technology and screen time. And, like, they want a new game on an iPad and it's free. I'm like, whatever, I'll check it out and I'll let them have it. But right. in other ways, like, they've never seen, like, a violent movie. And... I don't have an intention to let them do that soon, you know, and I don't make it into a big deal. It's just like they need to run stuff by me. And sometimes I say no, and then they move on with their day. Um, but because of this, it's like they're young, like they don't need to know about like in-depth violence yet. And D&D, &D, a lot yeah. of it comes down to like that violent conflict, no matter what, just because of the nature of the world. So, yeah, I've been looking at other systems. And this is one of the reasons that I wanted to talk about edge of the empire because it's another system that i could probably make narrative for them um so my hesitation with going in the star wars direction is that they just don't have enough context for star wars like when oh, okay. you know the movies and you know like you and i've played so many video games and read so many books and comics and like you and i just know the star wars universe and a lot of other people our age are in that same place my kids yeah. don't have that like they've seen the force awakens and that's it basically okay so i have two things to say about this and uh to, on, on that particular point for your kids what i would suggest i mean and i'm totally new to this don't get me wrong i don't know what like what's in all of the modules and source books and all that stuff but they do have a force awakens beginner game with pre-generated characters uh that takes place on an adventure on jakku and uh that is standalone entirely it can be played with all the rest of it but it does not have any other source books it doesn't have any other classes it is entirely contained within that so if all they've seen is the force awakens and that's what they like and know this is the area of this game that I, you may want to start with and look into that's super uh, cool yeah no i need that, to take a look at that 
that would be great. And also, you know, on that line of, you know, them not having any background in the in the world other than, you know, what they've seen. Have they seen Rebels or anything like that? No, not really. I mean, you know, I always float it by them when a new Star Wars thing comes out because yeah. I get excited. And, like, if there's right. anything that is remotely geeky and I'm excited about it, I always try to, like, let them sample it. But I try not to be overbearing because... As a right. parent, it's very easy to be like, why don't my kids like the things I like? Because they're <laughs> yeah. awesome. And I go out of my way to not do that. But I also always want to give them like a taste of it if I think that it's age appropriate. Because if they do right. like it, it's something we can do together. And um, so every like new Star Wars show or whatever, I always kind of like have them watch part of an episode and see if they're interested. And they just haven't latched on, which is totally fine. Right. And the main reason I was asking about that one is that the fan community for Edge of the Empire, and I guess really for uh, the Star Wars RPG itself, has made this one particular group, I think they call themselves Ranker Publishing, and they've put out a full, hundreds of pages wide, uh, professionally put together PDF of a Star Wars Rebels source book. See, that that's made awesome. A, that's something that I would want to play for this. on my it's own. It's free. It's free. You can go download it. It's not for sale. It's it's one of those uh, fan things that, that are made for RPGs all the time. Um, I've got it downloaded. I'll uh, If I remember tomorrow, I'll put a link into the show notes so that y'all can all go grab this. Like, it's great. And that's something that your kids might be able to get into if they've seen that show. But one of the things I wanted to talk about in terms of the story, and because they don't have that, that uh, background, is... Like the second adventure, like I'm doing the the beginner games come with a printed adventure and then they each have a downloadable adventure that you can go that continues that one in uh, further detail if you want to. And so the one that's what we're doing right now. We did the first act of three for the continuation of the beginner game and the second act two looking through it, I didn't see and there might be, but I didn't see combat. That it is entirely based on negotiation and wandering around doing espionage at a party. That's it, interesting. Uh, it that is something that if your kids are looking at at if you're looking at making it so that your kids aren't exposed to violence, this one is already built for that. You can limit the kinds of violence that they see, and there are examples out there of stories that you can tell that are entirely devoid of that. And as DM, as GM, as Game Master, you could write these stories or whatever you wanted to keep them within that area of the world and of Star Wars that you're familiar with and introduce it to them because it's so narrative-based. So this, I think, is a good choice for that because I didn't want me and Austin and Barry and anybody else who we, we may bring in to be rules rule lawyers. We didn't want to get rule whipped all the time. We want to do this to hang out because we're, you know, Barry and I are an hour and a half away uh, and Austin is like 17 away. It's like when we hang out, we want to have fun. We don't want to rule whip each other. Yeah, well, and that's why, like, I've kept my eye out for other systems, too. So, like, Powered by the Apocalypse is another one that's super interesting because it's hmm. so moddable, and the community has, like, taken it and run with it, and there are so, so many resources if you want to do a Powered by the Apocalypse game and have some kind of spin on it or have a homebrew on top of it. Like, that system is almost made for it. So, there are tons and tons of Powered by the Apocalypse games out there that I've been interested in. The one that I'm kind of leaning towards right now is Monster of the Week, which is um, 
it's what they're playing on the Adventure Zone right now. So the Adventure okay. Zone, after they wrapped up the balance arc, which was D&D, um, they did a series of a few different mini arcs and then like a one shot also. So they did four different systems if you include all of those. And they just wanted to feel out like now that they know the kind of narrative structure that they like, which is a lot more narrative and a lot less combat and numbers and the kind of stuff that you and I are talking about avoiding. Yeah. They were like, we want to find a system or some kind of approach where we can get away from that and get more towards the narrative. And they landed on Monster of the Week, and I really, really like it because it has a little bit of dice rolling. It has a little bit of rules, but it's not heavy-handed. It's very much like kind of what you were talking about where there's like failure or like a mixed success or like a full success. You know, there's kind of like three different levels of it, and that's about it with... I think it's 2d6. I'd have to look it up again. Oh, wow. That's, I mean, that's what it is. It's a 2d6 system. Yeah, it's like a 2d6. Like, it's super, super simple. Um, And that way you can weight a lot of it towards, like, those middle results, you know, just, like, right. probability-wise. Um, But one of the interesting things about it that I like is that um, there's room in there to have that kind of like back and forth between the the GM and the player where like, you know, if they fail or they have like a partial success, it's like, okay, well you can do this, but this is going to happen and you can kind of talk it out, you know, which I think would yeah. be a good thing to do with kids is to just like kind of do a little bit of that narrative building together instead of just being the one that says like this happens, you know, as the GM. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I really like about it is that it's very, very flexible about how you react to things. It has, like, I'd have to look it up exactly, so I'm not going to go in-depth into the rules, but it has very big, like, umbrella things that you can do. So, like, as the player, you don't have to worry about it. You can be like, I, you know, attack the monster with fire. Or, like, I, I throw a candle at right. the monster because it's I think it might be afraid of fire. And then, you know, you as the GM can take one of these big umbrella things and tell them to roll and add their, you know, X to it, which is there's right. only a couple of them. But it's not like stats on top of like character stats on top of special powers on top of equipment and like all of the math that goes into D&D which I think would be a little bit overwhelming um and then the other reason that I like it is that, like, there's no direct violence. Well, if you do Monster of the Week specifically instead of, which is, I think it might actually, I, I don't remember what system it's on. It might be powered by the apocalypse, but I think that's wrong. I think it's something else. Um, it, there wouldn't be any direct violence against, like, human-like creatures. You could just do, like, a Monster of the Week. You know, it could be, like, a boogeyman or, like, a ghost or whatever. So it's something that's much more cartoony violence. So they can right. still have that interaction with, like, trying to defeat something, but they don't have to worry about, like harming another humanoid you know whether that be orc or elf or whatever yeah Um, so i was leaning towards all those things and something that's really cool about monster of the week that i like is that you only get experience when you fail and that (laughs) means that and so it was something (laughs) that awesome initially i was like that's kind of weird but the more that i've listened to it now right because they're like on their second or third arc in the monster of the week uh series that they're doing on the adventure zone it's like it makes it so that either you're succeeding and you, you feel good because you succeeded or there's that mixed success where you're like you succeed, but you have to take something like there's, you know, that kind of balance there. Or if you fail, it's like, yeah, something bad's going to happen, but you get experience. So you still feel good about it. So it's like no matter the outcome, you're kind of getting something out of it. And I like that a lot instead of that sounds, when you fail, you fail. You know, that I think that might really, be really cool. Kids. And uh, I'm I'm looking it up as you're talking about this just to see. And um, you can buy it for like 12 bucks. 
that yeah, it's cheap. The, so the PDF is twelve dollars, and even the book for it and uh, and digital is twenty five. I mean, it's it's very affordable for a uh, for an RPG. And you talking about the the D six and the the being able to fudge the numbers and stuff like that is I realized that what I was talking about with those dice may have sounded a bit overcomplicated for what it actually is um there's actually a lot of online dice rollers for star wars and there's an official fantasy flight app uh called star wars dice that ties in because they use this across multiple games that they've made for star wars and um it rolls it for you it's five dollars and it's been way worth it to be able to tap okay three green one yellow and four purple and it automatically tallies it up at the top of your screen based on your rolls so it's like okay i ended up with three successes and a despair i hate myself and uh it's it's something it's so, really really good i wanted to pick your brain about that a little bit because you told me about these apps but also like I mentioned to you to look into Roll20 because I've heard a lot right. of people who are doing like remote play like you're doing have had huge success with that, even though I know it's more geared towards like D&D and Pathfinder right. type of games. Um, so like with Roll20 and then you ended up looking at Tabletop Simulator. Yeah, so- I ended up grabbing Tabletop Simulator because there wasn't really a demo of it that I could try like there are the others. Yeah. So like what led you to that and what do you want to do with it? I know you haven't had a chance yet, but like what's your intention there? So I went out and I started looking for I went out and started looking for those because you told me about Roll20 and I wanted to know what to what to really use for this. And because we're doing it on on Google Hangouts right now and we're probably going to continue doing that. But I wanted something that I didn't have to our first game. Austin had physical maps, which is something else this game only has a very minor amount of maps that we had yeah i definitely like theater of the mind for these type of games yeah there was a map to show you what the layout of one cave looked like and my friends shot into the cave with a mind-controlled trandoshan and they didn't even go in it so i never even pulled out the map um they uh because I never approached the cave. <laughs> and um, so, like, I went to Roll20 and I looked, and Roll20 looks like it's a fantastic system. And apparently, from the numbers that they have, about 6% of the games that they play are Star Wars RPG, but it's not officially supported. So, oh, everything, okay. all of the rule sets are fan made or are player made. And so, you don't have that the ability to go officially buy the the uh, rule set to add in, and it's all based on an API for Roll20. Which and you can do some of that with, like, Dungeons & Dragons and Pathfinder, right? You can buy, like, yeah. official tie-ins. Yep, you can just straight up buy them. They are uh, There are, like, six of them on Roll20 that are official. Um, D&D, uh, Pathfinder, it looks like the 13th Age, Monty Cook Games, whatever they make, and Innies. And there's another one that they have that I can't remember exactly what it was called, um, what system it was, but it was kind of, they have a generic role playing system, which is how people have adapted it into, uh, into the Star Wars one, but I didn't want to have to deal with it because a lot of the links I saw actually sent to GitHub to be able to get the scripts that you needed to run. And I was like, I'm learning a new RPG system. I'm not even worried about Lua scripts right now. Yeah. And so so I went and looked at Fantasy Grounds 
And Fantasy Grounds actually has a really good uh, fan-made Star Wars uh thing too because it's not officially supported uh, on that one either and it works okay but then i saw a video and i wish i could remember who did it the guy's name is shack uh is the name he goes by but he um but i was looking them up and one when i was looking for an actual i was looking for actual play uh for edge of the empire and i ran across this group on youtube and i had to look up and see what they were using because it looked so cool like it was this 3d table that they had with all of the cards and minis and it turns out it was tabletop simulator there is a tabletop simulator table on the steam workshop that basically has everything already imported and made into it that's a fan-made mod and apparently everyone uses it and because it's tabletop simulator there are all sorts of little minis and models that people have made for all sorts of stuff that you can bring in from like they have reconstructed all of the stuff from like KOTOR and stuff like that on there that I've imported and just have these movable like Dedgerit uh, characters and things like that just everything and so I'm going to end up using that, I think, as a way to like, because my friends don't want to buy it and they don't want to, as they said, we're on on Hangouts, but they said they don't want to like stare at a screen, which is why they wanted to do tabletop. But but I'm like, whatever. Okay, cool. I can just screen share it on a second computer. That's not a big deal. And um, and be like, okay, this is uh, what we're we're doing and show them and do it on there. Um, Tabletop simulator is the one that actually looks like it has the best support for Star Wars because of the way that the APIs and the the mods and everything work. Uh, because the tabletop simulator being so open, there was a much greater way of adding all of the, the rules and stuff in because they've scripted the player sheets and everything on there. Well, um, and the if only you thing have a VR headset, out you can uh, jump in there too. Which I yeah. always thought was cool about Tabletop Simulator. And I I want that now. Like, I, I want to get a VR headset to do that because it's so cool. Um, because I'm really enjoying it. I haven't done that one yet, but I think that's the one I'm going to run on. Even though it takes a lot more hardware to run and, uh, and work with, it is by far a more robust system i would love just to have roll 20 or something set up if anybody wants to set up roll 20 for me and send me the uh all of it set up and put together with all the stuff doing automatically i'll use it i love you forever but i just haven't had the time to put one put the entire thing together and and uh make sure all the scripts are working and that kind of thing sweet well any parting thoughts on uh tabletop rpgs where they're at right now I'm kind of super into this right now. I've been reading through what I can get my hands on. Uh, there's a website called Legends of the Galaxy, and I'll include links to this stuff in the show notes uh, where if you guys are interested in looking at it, you can, where there's a character generator and they have these the free PDFs uh, of, of the source materials up there uh, and the ones that Fantasy Flight provides for free, that kind of thing. And you can read through them and see what's going on. And they're it's fantastic. Like, I've... This has made me because I'm. By the time you guys are listening to this, I'm going to be in Spain for a work retreat, and so I've just spent uh, around around twelve hours in a in an airplane trying to amuse myself between two other people, two strangers, and I'm loading up my phone with video games and podcasts, and I just subscribed to the adventure zone to give it a shot while i'm there while i'm on the plane and uh there's also a podcast for this one called order 66 that i'm going to listen to which is all about 
the Edge of the Empire RPG, uh, which is a podcast about it, a meta podcast. I don't know how much of it they do with actual play, but apparently you can learn a lot about it from that one as well, and I'm going to. Um, but like, I'm super excited. Like, I can't wait. Like, I'm hoping we can bring more people in, or I would love to get another session of this going sometime if I could ever find time to be able to, to you know, between podcasting and doing one <laughs> tabletop session at night already, it's hard to fit that in. But I would love to get another one of these going because I'm, I'm really excited about it. Sweet. Well, we should probably do a follow up in like a few months or like a year yeah. and just see. I would love to know just kind of. And not necessarily like diving into the depths of your campaign, but just to follow up about like what you've learned about being a GM and like how it's yeah. going, you know, that kind of yeah. thing in general. So we'll have to circle back around to it. Um, why don't we talk about the geeky offer of the week? Tell the people about Patreon. If you guys want to make it so that Void and I can afford RPG source books, then you can go to patreon.com slash geek to geekcast and support the show. You can get all sorts of cool stuff like, you know, telling us what you want to hear on the podcast. You can pay for an ad, uh, whatever it is. We have reward tiers set up there, but you don't have to worry about any of that. Uh, we just, you know, if you like the show, just take a look at patreon.com slash geek to geekcast. I will go and buy the monster of the week source book and read it and report back i will take that as do homework. it yes yep. do that challenge accepted you to one don't of you forget guys. about the other stuff on the network either uh geekitude had a couple weeks ago when i didn't know what the mystery episode was i wanted to highlight that because we're kind of out of our time sync with this episode here um but they talked about sony's use of marvel characters which was super super interesting i really liked that episode that was the one where they accidentally did a contest at the end and they said that they had oh, so much yeah. fun like seeing all the submissions that they're probably going to do more contests going forward so keep an eye on the geekitude feed or an ear on the geekitude feed i suppose <laughs> um tea time with katie and chelsea they did an episode about how to geek out or like what to geek out about when your brain is just fried from stuff which i know you and i talked about recently with like being yeah. overworked so it was always cool to hear another perspective on that type of thing um, yeah, absolutely with that it's probably time for weekly geekery where we share what we've been geeking out about you've been geeking out about a lot of star wars based on this pretty list. much yeah and like okay so so i canceled world of warcraft i still have about a month left on my subscription because i did a three month when i started just because i knew i would be playing it that long and that was about right because by the time the the next month goes out i will have gotten through all of the all of the content all of the raid that's been put out and i'll be fine like i'll i'll have had fun i'll have done mythics and mythic plus and the raid and it's been great um but it got to the point where last week I wasn't really engaged in logging in. I'd gotten my character up to the point where I could raid. I think it was level 342, and I just didn't want to play anymore. I, I And it wasn't that it wasn't good and it wasn't fun. It was I kind of hit that goal I'd set myself for getting raid ready, and I was like, okay, I achieved my goal. Like we had talked about before where we kind of like trail off after that. That was my, my line this time, and I'll go. I'm going to continue playing it. I'm going to continue doing my stuff, but this expansion feels now that they took the stuff I really did like out of Legion and water it down. And that stinks that I don't, I don't like that part of it. And so, so it'll be fine. I'll, I'll play it for the next month and probably go back whenever the next raid tier is, is released and see all of that stuff. Because 
I'm also I actually subscribed to Star Wars: The Old Republic again because I got into such a Star Wars mood because of you know reading all of this stuff for Edge of the Empire that it made me really Jones for a really good Star Wars game. And I knew I had recently read that I'm, and I'm probably way behind on it anyway, but that there was another Old Republic expansion, like one of their digital expansions that I'd missed coming out completely. So I had gone through about half of the Knights of the Fallen Empire story that they had done, uh, which where they jumped five years ahead and uh, completely made all new stuff that wasn't even based on anything in the normal Star Wars canon. Um, And it's great. And so they finished out that narrative now with Knights of the Eternal Empire or Eternal Knights of the Eternal Throne. Excuse me. I decided to go back and try it and it it grabbed me. It made me realize, and I think it's because of how much I enjoyed the storytelling on WoW, that how much better Bioware does it. That it's this one feels more like the Bioware storytelling that I remember than the last couple of Old Republic digital expansions with Hut Cartel and the Shadow of Revan. This one feels like the story I wanted to tell. Like, it's good. I care about these characters. And they finally kind of have a wrap on that. I know I was texting you about this today that I haven't had to group with anybody I didn't want to. It feels like it's an MMO system, but they've made it where you can even solo instances. Like, they put in... uh, You can use your companion, and you can... They put out heals, like potions. I don't even know what they're called. Kiosks, whatever. For you to click on to heal in boss fights and just around the dungeons. It's great for this. This afternoon while I was uh, my brain was hurting from working um, on some PHP that didn't want to work right I went in and got into decorating my my stronghold and I didn't think I was going to like it but holy cow I do and it's just it's way better than it was the last time I played it so I'm really excited about that right now that's good yeah I keep thinking I might go back to it someday it, it'll take something to get me there it'll I'm a ways away I can tell but yeah. it's there's something there that like I want that story. I just don't want the MMO-ness around it, which was kind of what you just said. Like, they keep paring down the MMO aspects and making it more single-player friendly. So at some point, we'll hit a tipping point, and I'll probably go back in. Yeah, I mean, I think the next one that's coming out, uh, it should be this fall is what they've said. I think it may be called Scourge of the Jedi, but they're moving back to the Jedi versus Sith stuff. So that would be a good point to jump in, because that will be the latest iteration of what they've been doing with it. Um Right now, the next patch is like a PvP patch, so you'll hate that. But the the next story patch will probably be in about a month and a half, two months. Because of that, um, I've been like really excited about that story, which is why I haven't played as much Spider-Man for the last episode. So that's why I wasn't as far as you were. Um, But... Um, I've like I said, I've been reading the Star Wars RPG stuff. I'm listening uh, to the Order sixty six podcast whenever I I'm flying, and I'm gonna link to the Rebel source book and then Legends of the Galaxy in the show notes. I also loaded up my phone with games to play, and so I actually downloaded Galaxy of Heroes, the Star Wars game that you like so much. And it's not the game I thought it was. I, I had it mixed like up with it Force so much. Arena. It's just that every once 
when I like it's its hooks in me and I can't put it down. But it's definitely like not a complicated game. It's just no. something where I can get some progression and interact with Star Wars a little bit. Yeah, and that's kind of how I feel with it right now. It's like I'll be watching TV like woodwork, like I mentioned last week, and I'll have it on auto battle, and then I'll be leveling up my Luke Skywalker farm boy or something like that. It's uh, it's neat. Um, but I thought it was Force Arena. I thought it was the newer one they came out with that I didn't like. That was like this kind of weird tappy tappy moba wannabe yeah i don't like that game either that's not a good one yeah that's not a good one so every time you've mentioned galaxy of heroes i'm like what's wrong with your brain and everything was fine with your brain and so uh so i'm playing that like because it's a i'm on an airplane game if i have wi-fi and uh or uh I'm in my airbnb and i need to be alone so i'm like on my phone playing galaxy of heroes um also because of the trip i downloaded on prime apparently um prime has free books and i didn't know it like it's different than kindle unlimited like you actually have prime reading um the ahsoka novel is actually on prime reading and because austin was talking about how great it was you've talked about how great it was and i'm in the star wars mood i decided to uh to start it and it's really good that i'm maybe 40 45 percent into it and you know I knew I loved Ahsoka as a character because of the end of Clone Wars and what I've seen of her in Rebels. And this just solidifies that she is one of my all-time favorite Star Wars characters now. And she was the reason I didn't watch Clone Wars in the beginning because she was annoying. And the way that they've actually gave a progression to that character and real depth over the over the years and through all these different media, I am... I'm amazed and really want to reiterate to everyone else that if you are thinking about reading it, read it because it's really good. You can go to audibletrial.com slash geek to geek or is it audibletrial.com slash geek and get it for free. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> so I did. Plug that. But it's really good. I've been listening to the audio book with WhisperSync because I actually have it on audio and uh, it's awesome. Like it's it's great. I'm yeah, really I think excited Ahsoka about it. Ahsoka is probably my favorite Star Wars character at this point. That like canon Star Wars character, I should say. Mm. Um, there are other ones that are interesting that are outside of canon these days. Um, but yeah, the it's cool that you got back into Star Wars, especially because you had like bounced off of it. And I didn't realize till we talked this week that you basically bounced off of it when like the fan backlash happened against the Last yep. Jedi. And, like, I just don't let things like that get to me. Like, I'll read a little bit of the criticism because I'm always curious, and then I'll move on with my day. But I don't I, – I try really hard to not let, like, what other people like or dislike affect what I'm enjoying. So I didn't realize that it had had, like, such an effect on you. And I realized what it was. After you and I had that talk, I realized why it affected me so much, and it wasn't the actual backlash. It was any time I went out to, to look for Star Wars stuff when I wanted to read an article or see something or whatever. Whatever it was, anytime I wanted to interact with what I loved, that was there. That was at the top. That's what I saw. That's what people were talking about. That's where the comments were, no matter what it was. And that really destroyed me on that because I'm such a community person that if that's where that community and fandom was going, I wanted no part of it. And I'm finally able to move beyond that because I found cool stuff with people I love. That's good. Yeah. Um, I didn't do a ton this week because we're pre-recording. And so we stretched our weekly geekery over two weeks. But uh, I'm sure I'm still playing Spider-Man uh, in real time somewhere <laughs> out there. Uh, I did watch a couple more movies. Like I said, I was going to dive into like the World War II stuff, you know, after I wrapped up World War One. Yep. So I watched Saving Private Ryan and Enemy at the Gates. And both of them are still really good movies. Yep. Um 
I also went back and I kind of forced myself to get through the Pacific. And there were a couple episodes <laughs> in there that were really slow, which is when I stopped both or all three times that I tried to watch it. Yeah. So after I got past those episodes, it got good again. So I'm glad that I finished Great. it. Right. Well, good being a relative term. I mean, it's like a horrific battle, but you know, it's yeah, yeah, but it is it's well made. It's well produced. Yes, thank like you. it well was made. worth that my was time. Word. Yeah. So I'm glad that I watched it. I don't see band of brothers, like the original one. I can see myself going back to that and rewatching it every few years for the rest of my life. I don't think I would do that with the Pacific because, right. well, there's a lot of reasons, but I'm glad that I watched it anyway. Um, I also watched oceans eight, which is totally unrelated to world war two, really but I got like around it. to it so because it fun. came out. I, it was, I didn't like it that much. Really? Um, it wasn't bad. It's just that, like, I hold it up to Ocean's Eleven in my head, and it just doesn't measure up. Like, Ocean's Eleven is so good. But that being said, I feel the same way about the Ocean's Eleven sequels. Like, Ocean's Twelve, yes. I didn't really like. And Ocean's Thirteen is better, but still not as good as Ocean's Eleven. So yep, exactly. when you're comparing it against that, for me, it probably falls kind of in the realm of, like, Ocean, somewhere between 12 and 13 for me. 12 being the worst, and 13 being second from the bottom. See, um, but and nothing... I think 8 is actually better than 13. That, I could see uh, that argument. Like, I could definitely, like, entertain that argument. It just depends on your taste, you know? Yeah, it does. I think it just will depend on what characters you like seeing and who it is, like, or and even just the story and what hits you at the time, like... But it is good. I liked it. I liked it a lot, and I want to see it again. Yeah, I I thought it was okay. I didn't love it, but I didn't hate it. It was it was very like okay. I'm glad I watched it once. I probably don't need to watch that again. Um, I did try the Mega Man Eleven demo this week, and it's interesting. It feels like they're trying to bridge the gap between classic Mega Man and Mega Man X, and it leans towards the classic side. And so. Okay. Uh, I'm glad I played the demo because I know I'm not going to buy the game because like I just don't like classic Mega Man. I like Mega Man X. So if they ever yeah. take the X series and bring that back and move it forward, I'm going to be so excited. But it seems like they've just been letting it sit there for years and years. Um, my favorite Mega Man game of all time is Mega Man X, like that original one. It's so, so good. Like it, it, it is. It's the best one. Yeah. So it's it's interesting though. If you do like both of them, both series, or if you just like classic Mega Man, I think you will probably really like Mega Man Eleven. So definitely go try out the demo. I know it's free on Switch. I don't know if it's out on other okay. systems, but there's a demo out there. That's the awesome. I was going to ask what uh, what system it was on because I've seen people talking about it, but I've been so in. Uh, I want to say Swotor, but I, I think it sounds so dumb and. Um, spider-man that i haven't uh, even looked to see what platforms the demo is on but i have heard it's really hard like really mega man frustrating it is well they have like two there's a new system that's called this dual gear system so you can like trigger them and they have a meter that goes down but then automatically recharges when you're not using it and one of them slows down time so it gives you a lot of time to react to things and then the oh. other one powers you up and i think you're really intended to use those throughout the game like they're not there to be you know, like help for babies. Like it's really there yeah. as part of the game. And if you're not using them, then you're doing yourself a disservice and it's extra hard. So there's probably okay. new stuff there for people to get their head around. And I just don't think they have yet. Yeah, I, I can I can totally see that if there are those systems around because I've heard that it is controller throwing hard. Yeah, it's it was difficult, but I mean, I beat it. It like it wasn't impossible or anything. It was just right. difficult. Um, the one thing that I played a lot of before Spider-Man came out, and I'll probably get back to after Spider-Man is done too, is Lord of the Rings, the LCG, the digital version, right. finally came it's out. Steam, I've been right? waiting for this. Yeah, it's on Steam. It's in early access on Steam right now. And 
I bought into it because like I love that card game, but I never have the time to get it on the table. And it's always been so long between each play session that I can't remember the rules all the way and I have to look them up. Mm -hmm. And it's just like there's this huge barrier of entry there. So I'm really glad that it's out digitally now and I can just play it. And it's not the same game. It's an adaptation. They simplified it in a lot of ways but they kept the core of it. So like the interesting things that I really liked are there, but some of the extra complexities are not there. And then it's digital. So they're doing things that you can only do in digital games, you know, like, yeah, it's just a bunch of little stuff that really adds up. So I like it a lot. I ended up buying every single one of the card packs so that I could make a couple different decks and mess around with it. And even though I bought all the card packs in total, I probably paid less than $20. It was like $7 to get into early access. And then like, a dollar or two dollars per pack and there are only like three or four packs out right now so it's not a whole lot of money um there's only one quest set right now so there's Mm. i think there's like five different quests in it so it's like one kind of storyline um but that's another thing is that the whole thing is pve and co-op is going to get added later i mean it's early access so it's not there yet and that was a big part of the draw of the game was playing co-op um but the fact that it's all pve means that they can do things that other card games can't and it feels like every other digital card game out there is pvp and because it's against the computer and the environment it can be asymmetrical you know it doesn't have to be balanced and that makes for very interesting things that you don't see in other games so i really want them to just start putting out more quests so i can see a variety of other things and i can start picking up more card packs in general, I'm just excited for the game. And it's Fantasy Flight as well, that it's one of the LCGs we've talked about on on here uh, at, at, at length at different points, where you don't have to actually collect any different cards, that you're not doing it like Hearthstone, where you get random cards in a pack, that when you buy these card packs that he's talking about, you get the cards, that those are in your collection, those are the cards that exist, there's no RNG on it, there's no randomness, you, you get it, you have the set you can make what you want yeah and it's that transferred over to a digital version for like the first time ever so i'm all about supporting it i'll keep my eye on it um it depends how long it's in early access and how slow or fast they roll out the content i mean i basically beat all the content that's there i want to kind of go through the whole content again because i had so much fun but then i'll probably let it sit until they start pushing out new versions and new content and stuff yeah can you alter this one into like hard modes that like you could the, the yeah, there's the that's one, one on the table there's different difficulty settings too because it's pve like it doesn't it doesn't have to be balanced you know like it can be balanced for you as the player and there are scores too which is something that's mm-hmm. a holdover from the tabletop game where like you can always play on easy if you want or you could play on like the hardest difficulty but you can keep trying to improve your score and you can actually get like in-game rewards for getting higher scores which is pretty cool like oh, you can cool. get some of the in-game currency bonus on top of what you would normally get if you can score high you know so like keep your hero's health up or don't let any of your heroes get eliminated or um finish the game with less threat than a certain amount stuff like that that's awesome that that's a really good incentive to keep people playing it because the lcg is fun because of that especially the co-op i've only played it the once with with the co-op being what i played i've never played it solo but i know you and austin both have because he has the the initial beginner set and loves it like both of you guys love it so this one is exciting me to see what it is and uh, i look forward to the co-op that when it gets implemented i will buy this 
Yeah, it's it's fairly cheap to buy in right now. I hope it stays that way. But I mean, if you're at yeah. all interested, I think it'll probably be free to play in the end, honestly, when it launches. But like, if you are interested enough, based on what I said, it's only like $8 to buy your way into the lowest level of early access. And honestly, that's all you need. Like they have packs that go all the way up to like $70 or something. And you're just throwing your money away at that point. You don't need to do that. You can just buy your way in for eight bucks and have fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that sounds much better. Yep. Um, that's probably it for this week. BJ will be back from Spain, hopefully, yeah. next week. As Barcelona. Long as, you know, planes work. And yep. then we'll talk about probably travel, I would bet. Hopefully after I'm not back. dead. Yeah, that's the hope. Um, that's all we got for this week. You can write to us with comments, suggestions, or feedback. Our email address is geek2geekcast at gmail.com or reach us on Twitter at geek2geekcast. We also have longer discussion threads on our subreddit at reddit.com slash r slash geek2geekcast. And we also have great discussions on Slack and Discord. You can go to discord.geek2geekcast.com or slack.geek2geekcast.com and hang out with us. And remember, like we said earlier, we're part of a network, so you can go listen to any of our podcasts at geek2geekcast.com. I blog at agreenmushroom.com, and you can find me at GRN Mushroom. That's Green Mushroom without the E's on Twitter. And I'm on Twitter as at Professor Beach. That's Beach with two E's, and I blog at geekfitness.net. We've been Void and Beach with your Geek to Geek podcast. That'll do it for this week. See you next week, geeks. Adios, amigos. Hi everyone, I'm Katie. And I'm Chelsea, and we are the hosts of Tea Time with Katie and Chelsea. We are two best friends who love pop culture and talking about pretty much whatever we want. Katie! Yes? Stop thinking about Zac Efron and tell our future listeners what some of our latest episodes have been about. Well, we've talked about Zac Efron. No, get it together, Katie. Fine. We've talked about fan fiction, classical literature adaptations, favorite TV couples, and so much more. So grab your cup of tea or whatever your drink of choice is and download our podcast today. Hi, my name is Joe Hogan, and I'm a geek. And if you're currently listening to this, there's a good chance you're a geek too. So check out my podcast, Geektitude. Each week, I talk with somebody about their geek aptitude. Sometimes I talk to people in a geeky profession. Sometimes it's someone doing something really cool with their geekiness. Often it's another geeky podcaster. But it's always someone who wants to share their inner geek. So join me each week as we come together to geek out about all the geeky stuff we love. And remember, this week, keep it geek.